0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Dr. Raul Artal tall, is one of the youngest survivors of the Holocaust. He was born in a concentration camp. It was in a part of Eastern Europe, then occupied by Romania. And today, he turned 77. That makes him one of just 400,000 survivors still alive today. Dr. Altal is a professor emeritus at St. Louis University. He served 17 years as chairman of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Women's Health at the St. Louis University School of Medicine. And he joins us today by phone from his home in Palos Verdes, California. So, Dr. Altal, welcome and and happy birthday to you.
1: Thank you very much. Good morning. It's such a pleasure to be with you.
0: And we're so glad you were able to join us. Um, I understand you were born in a place called Transnistria. And I imagine very few of our listeners are aware of this region, much less aware of the genocide that took place there. Do you find yourself often having to orient people when you when you tell this story?
1: Absolutely. Transnistria is uh, recognized in the literature as the Forgotten Holocaust, uh, my birth Uh, circumstances actually inspired me to become an obstetrician uh, specializing in high-risk obstetrics. I was actually uh, born in a half-destroyed farmhouse Mm. in the the Nazi slave labor concentration camp named Bershat, Transnistria in the uh, Vinita region in western Ukraine, not far from Hitler's east front werewolf bunker. And the slaves in the camp, including my parents, worked on Durkstrasse, which means freeway in German, Freeway D, one of the first freeways in the world. It was uh, supposed to link Germany to the rich Russian Ural.
0: Hmm. You said that that experience, the experience of your birth, um, later played into your uh, decision to become an OBGYN. How so?
1: Well, actually, it was a very difficult bridge delivery. Mm. I came into the world with my feet first. Luckily, there was a physician in the camp. His name was Dr. Menschel, who knew how to do, and uh, he saved my mother's and my life. Uh,
0: he was uh, also a prisoner in the camp, this physician?
1: There were five prisoners in the camp. He was one of the physicians in the camp. Uh, for my entire time in the camp, uh, I was hidden with a small pillow over my head mm. to muffle my voice. I was told that I was never a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I imagine that that sort of beginning to life could uh, could really change the way a child interacts with the world. I mean, it must have just been so terrifying for your parents Uh, How were they able to get out of this camp, ultimately?
1: Well, uh, actually, of the uh, 25,000 people that were in that camp, only 5,000 survived, and I'm one among them, among the 5,000. But uh, 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 the the reason I survived is that the guards in the camp uh, were reluctant to enter the structure because of diseases such that were epidemic in the camp, like typhus, typhoid, and other diseases. Hmm. Something that uh, is also not recognized uh, uh, more frequently is that the camp uh, was also the command center for the Einsatzgruppen D, the Death Squad D, under the command of the infamous Otto Ohlendorf, who was the main defendant at the Nuremberg Trials. He was personally responsible for the murder of 90,000 people.
0: Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, these are just such sobering parts. And and as you say, it's even more sobering to think that this Holocaust in in this part of Eastern Europe has been so forgotten when when so many people were killed. Um, That's just, it's got to be so hard to think about the fact that so few people even talk about this today.
1: Well, the reason was that uh, the territory after the war was uh, part of USSR and uh, the communist regime suppressed the information about the Jewish people. They considered them all to be Soviet citizens. Hmm. However, an estimated one and a half million Jewish uh, children were massacred by the Nazis during uh, World War II uh, and babies and only about 5% of them survived, and I'm among the lucky ones. However, what's also not uh, commonly known, that babies were born in all the concentration camps. At Auschwitz alone, there were 3,000 babies born, Hmm. and 500 of them with Aryan features were given away for adoption, Uh, and there may be some mixed Jewish blood in the German population. About a dozen of Jewish babies were hidden in the barracks in Auschwitz. And uh, uh, actually, uh, they got together at uh, Yad Vashem in Jerusalem a few years ago. And the others were drowned in water buckets. Wow. My mother's difficult labor, actually, and the delivery experience inspired me to become a... uh, uh, an obstetrician and specializing in high-risk uh, obstetrics, high-risk pregnancies.
0: And you've said that you didn't initially talk about the circumstances surrounding your birth and and this part of your background. When did that change for you?
1: Well, um, I I wanted to focus on on uh, on taking care of uh, patients mm-hmm. and uh, also my research. Uh, Uh, And uh, this time I also got interested in medical ethics and the lessons that were uh, learned from um, World War II. Because uh, between 1933 and 1945, more than 38,000 physicians joined the Nazi Party and played a leading role in the Holocaust. Uh, They played a crucial role in the selection process for. Racial cleansing, sending to the gas chamber an estimated 1.1 to one and a half million people at Auschwitz alone. So this inspired me that uh, they are uh, con- conducting atrocious uh, little uh, medical experiments, altitude deadly decompression experiments, deadly man-made uh, wounds and infection to test antibiotics, hypothermia leading to death, uh, seawater in, infusions, uh, starvation studies, twin studies uh, by Mengele. So all of these uh, inspired me that uh, I should, uh, first of all, uh, try to save women's life and uh, dedicate myself to high risk.
0: We're talking to Dr. Rawl, our tall meet-o-mark. Um Today is his 77th birthday. Um, he was born in a concentration camp, and, and today is one of the youngest um, Holocaust survivors who's still alive. Um, you say you're interested in these medical ethics questions that come out of the Holocaust. And as you note, uh, your fellow physicians, some of them just behaved abominably uh, during this period of time. And, and we like to think of doctors as always being there to help us. What do you think went wrong there?
1: Well, uh, the uh, many population across the Europe uh, uh, were uh, practicing anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I think is the word, and uh, it was embedded for generations in, in, the, in, in the European society, and uh, unfortunately, the, uh, it's it's there again. Uh, all over the world, and sadly enough, also in our own country and on some of the uh, uh, university campuses. Mm -hmm. So So
0: this this anti-Semitism, it almost allowed people to then uh, treat Jews as if they they weren't a fellow person who deserved the same rights and considerations. You think that was really the heart of of all of this?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jews were always uh, considered uh, Uh, having uh, bad diseases, uh, genetically inherited uh, bad diseases. And uh, the irony is that the genetic studies of today indicate that actually the Jewish people in Europe uh, had uh, lessened uh, frequency of uh, uh, genetic disorders than other populations
0: in Europe. (laughs) But there is some irony there uh but do you see any parallels uh to the current time where we see people talking about immigrants in general as as being um filled with disease or or maybe um people alleging that they bring disease to this country
1: Absolutely I I feel for them uh, I think public health has to be taken into consideration but not by exclusion of these people rather by taking care of them there There are ways to screen for diseases and take care of uh, trying to heal them and allow them to come in uh, and save them from atrocities that occur elsewhere in the world.
0: Mm -hmm. For your fellow physicians, um, what do you think it's important for them to keep in mind to make sure that they never again become accessories to the sort of, of awful things that some of them did during the Holocaust?
1: Well, uh, I would like actually to quote Elie Wiesel, whom I had the privilege and honor to know. Actually, he was uh, Mm. a speaker at uh, St. Louis University a few years ago. And I would use his words that for the survivor who chooses to testify, it is clear his duty to bear witness for the dead and for the living, to forget the dead, would be a kin of killing them a second time.
0: Hmm. So for us to remember this and and to talk about this, you feel like that's an important um, uh, way to prevent this? Absolutely. What do you see as as, uh, one of the medical ethics lessons learned from the Holocaust that we could consider today um, during this time that we're in, this this awful pandemic?
1: Well, one fact that is uh, not commonly known that uh, at the Nuremberg trials of the uh, uh, infamous physicians, at the end of the trial, the judges mandated that no procedure should be ever conducted or uh, uh, given to uh, a patient without a patient's consent. Hmm. Actually, it was the uh, judges at the Nuremberg trials that initiated the informed consent That we use to this day.
0: Hmm.
1: Not too many know this, including physicians.
0: (laughs) That makes me feel better because I did not know that, and I was thinking, how did I not know that? So, this issue of informed consent, you feel like this is really paramount to, to safeguarding our rights here.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, that's an important thing I think we can all keep in mind. And and Dr. Altal, we've talked about such serious things today, and yet I know today is also your birthday. Is there anything you're planning to do to celebrate, uh, even during this time when we're not really allowed to do very much uh, in terms of leaving our homes?
1: Yes, we're all secluded. And uh, actually, uh, uh, all my children and grandchildren called me this morning and uh I'm here with my wife, uh, Michal, who was also a professor at St. Louis University. And uh, we all my thoughts with uh, you and everybody else in the country, wishing you to stay safe and remain safe.
0: Well, I thank you so much for that, and I also thank you for being willing to spend some time on your birthday today, um, just sharing some of the things. I think there's so many lessons that we can all take from from what you experienced in your life, and I appreciate so much you sharing that with us today.
1: Thank you very much. and uh, I would also like uh, to again uh, thank my uh, faculty and staff at uh, St. Louis University who are by far the, the best, most dedicated professionals and uh, hardworking uh, people. I mean, so thank you very much.
0: That is wonderful to hear, and I hope so much that they're listening today. So uh, that was Dr. Raul Artal uh, Mitomark, and he joined us today from his home in Palos Verdes, California, after years at St. Louis University. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more.